Well, hi there. This is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, and welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. Now, many of our listeners are familiar with the pharmacist-patient care process and with comprehensive medication management. And in broad strokes, the pharmacist-patient care process provides a macro-level overview of how pharmacists approach patient care, regardless of setting or specialty. And comprehensive medication management, or sometimes called CMM, is a term used to describe the process of conducting a complete medication review and acting to make adjustments or changes that are likely to have the greatest impact on the patient's health and well-being. Technically speaking, CMM can be performed by physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners, but clinical pharmacists working in interprofessional teams are perhaps the best suited and most qualified individuals to perform CMM. A practitioner who is performing CMM does not focus on a single disease state or therapeutic class, but rather comprehensively evaluates the patient and his or her medication needs. Until recently, we didn't have a very detailed definition of what CMM entailed, and people were kind of doing their own thing. In 2018, the CMM in Primary Care Research Team, funded by a grant from the American College of Clinical Pharmacy, published a set of empirically informed standards describing in detail the process of care in each of the five steps of the pharmacist-patient care process. And I encourage our listeners to download the report from the iFormerX or ACCP website if you don't have a copy of it already. More recently, this same group published in the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy a qualitative research report about the practice management components necessary for a thriving CMM practice. And joining me today to discuss this study are Dr. Elizabeth Cook and Dr. Leslie Walters. Uh, Dr. Cook and Dr. Walters are clinical pharmacy specialists at the Robert J. Dole VA Medical Center in Wichita, Kansas. And Lizzie, it's great to have you back on the iFormerX podcast today. And Leslie, it's great to welcome a first-time contributor. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. All right. We're really excited to be here talking about CMM today with you, Stuart. So before we talk about the study you reviewed in your iFormerX commentary, I'd like to start with a brief case vignette. I want you to imagine you have been recently hired by a staff model health maintenance organization, and you've been asked to set up a clinical pharmacy services in their primary care clinics. The organization already has a well-established pharmacist-managed anticoagulation clinic, and the organization leadership isn't too certain what a clinical pharmacist might be able to do for them in their primary care clinics, but they've heard that pharmacists can really make a big difference and improve the quality of patient care, and, and that's why you've been hired. They have only vague notions of what kinds of things a pharmacist does when working in a primary care team. So, what are some of the things going through your mind in a case like this? If you were faced with this situation, how would you approach setting up your practice? What kinds of pharmacist services do you think would have the greatest benefit in a primary care setting? So I feel like this is a pretty common issue, especially when developing a new line of service or deciding where pharmacy services need to be implemented. And one of the first actions that should be performed is conducting a needs assessment. What exactly would be essential to 
providing services in this clinic. And there are several ways that this can be conducted. And this includes something as simple as sending out a survey to clinic providers and staff to gauge areas in which they feel clinical pharmacists can establish new or even augment existing services. And this can easily identify perceived needs um, of the pharmacist's future coworkers. Um, there's also other great ways that we can collect hard data from the clinic to gauge areas where we can intervene as pharmacists. And Leslie um, will be able to fill in some areas in terms of what hard data we can actually use. So one of the first ways that we can start deciding how to make an impact is by looking at patient satisfaction metrics and find a way that pharmacists can impact that. So an easy way to collect data is to look at CMS measures, HEDIS measures, and VA dashboards, of which there are plenty. If you work in the VA system, you have so many ways to look at patient data and help you find out where there are low to medium effort interventions that you can easily implement and get high reward high positive feedback from the physicians and staff members that you're trying to get on board with pharmacy services. It's important to note that based on the specific clinic you're located in or the specific health system you're in, the accessibility of these data as well as the ability to analyze these data may differ greatly. So resources such as IT staff, um, the navigability of your electronic medical record, and things along those lines are going to come into play in terms of how you obtain that data and what you can do with it to analyze any sort of needs your clinic may have. Once you have that information, all of those things Leslie mentioned, as well as areas in which providers and staff feel that they need extra pharmacy support, it's important to prioritize pharmacist placement and clinic focus just to make sure that your resources as a pharmacist are being allocated efficiently. So let's talk about the study conducted by the folks in the CMM in Primary Care Research Group. The manuscript appeared in the March 2020 issue of the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy, and this study specifically focused on the practice management components that support a CMM practice. Basically, the researchers wanted to know what are the essential ingredients for a thriving CMM practice. Now, for those in our audience who haven't read the paper, can you give us a brief summary of the study findings? So the researchers wanted to find out what the framework for a successful clinic was. So they conducted a series of focus groups and interviews of both pharmacy supervisors and clinical pharmacists to find the common themes they used in their clinics. Using these discussions, they came up with five main domains, each with smaller essential components. And those five domains discovered by the researchers included, one, organizational support. So this was comprised of support provided by leadership, availability and adequacy of clinical space, as well as billing and revenue systems. The second domain was care delivery processes, which included methods of identifying patients for comprehensive medication management services, ability to schedule comprehensive medication management services, as well as methods of documenting care. 
The third domain was care team management, which was composed of the components of presence and scope of collaborative practice agreements, or CPAs, interprofessional collaboration, engagement of support staff. And then the fourth domain included measuring CMM data and reporting CMM data outcomes to evaluate comprehensive medication management services overall. And the final domain was ensuring that there was consistent and quality care. So this could be the practitioner setting as well as quality assurance processes. And all of these five domains, it's important to note that the authors felt that these components didn't need to be established in a stepwise manner. And in order to have an ideal practice management strategy, implementing these areas could be fluid and uh, they could be developed concurrently or out of order, just depending on the needs of that particular clinic. So I think, Leslie and Lizzie, that most pharmacists are probably not accustomed to reading qualitative research studies and are probably not familiar with the methodology used in a study like this. In your opinion, what are the key strengths and weaknesses of this paper Did the authors adhere to best practices when conducting and reporting qualitative research? So overall, we felt this study was very well designed, and it definitely adds to the literature by presenting information specific to CMM practice management, which was definitely pulled using a highly methodologic approach. And there are definitely objective measures that we can use to grade these qualitative studies. Um, One tool that we can use to assess the framework of a qualitative study such as this is called the Consolidated Criteria for Reporting Qualitative Research, or CORUC Checklist. And the CORAC checklist is composed of 32 items that are associated with three main domains, um, one of which is the research team and reflexivity. Um, Another is study design, and the third is analysis of findings. And this validated tool, the CORAC, is not dissimilar to ones that we use for randomized control trials such as CONSORT or quorum for meta-analyses and strobe for observational studies. So we looked at this CORAC checklist. Some essential components were missing from the manuscript. So when we reviewed the CORAC checklist in concert with reading this study, we find that the CORAC checklist is basically a list of questions that the researcher is supposed to ask themselves to make sure that they are providing as unbiased information as they can with a qualitative research study. And so while there were wonderful levels of layers in the focus groups and interviews, and they cross-referenced each other and came up with this wonderful five main domains and their essential components, there were some weaknesses that we found that were not addressed. A lot of them center around the biases that are inherent in unblinded interviews. One particularly glaring example was that they pulled pharmacists from clinics that they knew. And so this creates the possibility that the interviewer knew the interviewee, which inherent in that is a level of comfort and a level of honesty that you may not see with others. And you may get different information out of an interviewee that you know versus an interviewee that you don't. And you may be able to, knowing each other's cues, build off that a little bit more. 
Beyond analyzing the construction of the study, there are some areas to note, primarily limitations in applicability of results to the rest of the population. Um, many of the pharmacists recruited in the study were from either New Mexico or Minnesota, and state regulations and scope may drastically differ in those areas versus the rest of the U.S. Additionally, the sample was comprised of mostly large integrated health systems, so those smaller clinics or startup clinics who have yet to be formally established, this may not necessarily be as applicable. But overall, we feel like this study opens many doors to further research and qualitative studies related to these core components of practice management, such as the one discussed today, often lay groundwork for further exploration through studies such as implementation science. And implementation science is the study of methods to promote the uptake of consolidated and evidence-based activities into routine healthcare practice and health policy. So aside from what we can do in terms of how we could implement incorporating these domains and components into a CMM clinic. We can also view this study as a stepping stone as to whether use of these practice components results in improved patient care or financial outcomes compared to practice sites who are maybe lacking these necessary practice management skills as defined by the authors. Recall that you're a talented, committed, and eager clinical pharmacist who has been hired to start a new clinical service. Now that you've read this paper, what kinds of things would you be doing to ensure you have the essential practice management components available in your new practice? What are some of the barriers that you would anticipate you'll most likely encounter? And how would you go about addressing those barriers? So my first recommendation to a pharmacist in this situation would be to take those five main domains and their essential components and pair up the information and support staff that they already have to those individual components because that's how you find out. You can visually see what you're lacking and either ask for it or if your leadership is hesitant to give it to you right off, then you can use that opportunity to come up with a way to track data that will explain why you need it. Uh, leadership support also is the most blaring component that they're lacking in this specific case. Ask them, you know, based on what I've told you about what clinical pharmacists have the ability to do, what do you see my position being here and show them some of those CMS measures that are low-hanging fruit that you can do that would really improve their patient's level of care right off the bat so that they're seeing the value of pharmacy. And I completely agree with Leslie. Definitely having those components in place in order to have a successful practice management is essential, as well as those building blocks, such as creating a shared philosophy of practice with those support staff and providers in your clinic to kind of unite each other as an interprofessional care team as well as developing a standardized patient care process that is ensuring that quality of care is delivered across the board. Definitely, if your services show an impact, they may want to incorporate more pharmacists into clinical services in the future, and establishing a standard by which clinical pharmacists operate will provide services that are consistent across the spectrum of patient care. 
So Lizzie, Leslie, uh, I want to thank you both for joining me today to talk about the importance of practice management. It's not just about what we do in practice, basically the process of care that we implement, but it's equally important to have a practice management system to be successful, to support what we do. It's clear from your comments that you believe that this paper provides some important information to pharmacists everywhere to help establish a comprehensive medication management approach, but also perhaps for specialty clinics and even those who are offering MTM services that are much more targeted. Well, tell us about your practice. What practice management components are missing or perhaps are not well-developed in your practice? Remember, only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on the site. If you're not already a member of iFormerX, I encourage you to sign up today. It's free. For those of you who are board-certified ambulatory care pharmacists, I hope you'll seek board recertification credit for listening to this podcast and reading the commentary posted on the iFormerX website. We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to make iFormerX commentaries and podcasts available for board recertification and continuing education credit. Learn about APHA's Ambulatory Care Board Prep and Recertification Program by clicking on the link at the bottom of the written commentary and posted on the iFormerX website. Lastly, a special thanks to our iFormerX Advisory Board for their helpful recommendations and thoughtful advice on how to make iFormerX even better. We're in the process of implementing some big changes in the look and feel of the iFormerX website, and we really rely on the wisdom of this group of super users to keep us on the right track. So thank you, Abigail, Brittany, Cheng, Jessica, Jordan, Mallory, Megan, and Vivian. Until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Be well, my friends. Mm-hmm.